Welcome to the Holy Cross Sermon Podcast. This whole year we're exploring the life and teachings of Jesus in the book of Luke. We're in a series called Kingdom Life. We are looking at how Jesus taught believers to live. Join us now as we dive into another passage. Let's take a moment and pray together. Lord, we do thank you this morning and we praise you as we come now to the scriptures. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to be with us, to fill us to fill our minds and to fill our hearts, to fill my words and to anoint us, especially, O Lord, open the scriptures that we might be led to Jesus Christ. It is in his name we pray. Amen. Well, the story is told about a father and a son who arrived in a small western town looking for a long-lost uncle whom they had never met. Suddenly, the father pointed across the town square at a man who was walking away from them in the opposite direction, and he shouted, there goes my uncle. Well, his son was surprised. He said, Dad, are you sure? And his father said, absolutely, I'm positive. That's him. Dad, how can you be sure that's him if you've never seen him before? The father said, son, I know him because he walks exactly like my father. I know that walk anywhere. As we get into our gospel lesson today in Luke 17, we're transitioning from our kingdom stories, from parables, which we've been looking at this summer, into several weeks of Jesus' very practical teaching on the kingdom life. We'll be looking at what Jesus says about the way we walk, the way we live our lives as disciples. And what he will tell us is that if we're going to be his followers, we must walk as he walks, and we must live as he lives. We must live in the way in which he has called us to live and to be. The proof, he says, of our love that we say we have for God, the evidence of the Holy Spirit's presence within us, will be shown in the way we walk out our lives, especially with regard to other people in the church. And so as we approach our text today, we'll see it divided very neatly into three very short sections that we can call failure, forgiveness, and faith. Failure, forgiveness, and faith. Jesus starts with a lesson on what he sees to be failure. Verse 1, and he said to his disciples, notice he's moved away from talking to the Sadducees and the Pharisees to his opponents, And he's talking to those who have thrown in his lot with him. He's talking to us. And he says, temptations to sin are sure to come. But woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Jesus speaks of failure and especially failure in leadership in terms of stumbling blocks along the path to the kingdom. The New Revised Standard Version, I think, translates this verse more appropriately. It says, occasions for stumbling are bound to come, but woe to anyone by whom they come. There's a complex Greek word in the back of this text called skandalon from which we get our English word scandal or scandalous. And it literally refers to like a stick holding open a baited trap. Move the stick and boom, the trap collapses. It's like a booby trap. In contemporary times, we might think of a pressure plate 
like those used against our troops in Iraq or in Afghanistan to detonate an IED hidden in the ground so that when a truck comes over the top of it or when a soldier steps on it, it sets off an, an explosion. Jesus says occasions for stumbling, stumbling blocks, are bound to come. Watch out, he's telling us, for booby traps along the way. He's giving us a picture of the potential pitfalls that can come on our path toward the kingdom. And he doesn't want us to succumb to those traps along the way. Now, some of these traps are simply part of the fallen world. Things like fear. Boy, that's a stumbling block over which many of us have tripped this year. Things like greed or pride or rebellion, addictions or compulsions or all the many distractions that exist. Charles Swindoll says the dangers are legion, but Jesus warned, don't allow yourself to become a danger to others. That would be the worst of failures. Jesus says, especially don't become a stumbling block to the little ones. Don't cause my little ones, Jesus says, to stumble. He's using an affectionate term of a father or a parent toward a helpless or an innocent child. He's referring to other believers, those who are newer in the faith, those who are younger than us. Jesus's idea of failure here is to cause other believers to go astray. Now, let me just clarify because I don't want to put too much fear in our hearts. Before you get paranoid about being thrown into the sea by the Lord, it's very common for new Christian leaders particularly to worry about whether or not it's okay for them to lead other people. So what will happen? I sometimes hear new life group leaders or children's or youth ministry leaders living in a kind of anxiety, especially when they get to a verse like this. They get worried about not having all the answers what if I can't answer a question that somebody has? What if I can't help disciple others? What if I'm not an expert? Do I really qualify? What if I don't know everything about the Bible? Can I really help? What if I get something wrong? Am I going to be wearing a millstone necklace? No, no, no. There's a difference between honest mistakes that are a result of inexperience, which can be corrected, and a willful spiritual damage of others, which incidentally can happen through malicious gossip, through unkindness or neglect, but they are particularly devastating when an older believer, a leader, does such a thing to a younger believer, damaging stumbling block put before somebody that causes them to go astray. What we're seeing here is Papa Bear Jesus, and his care and concern for his little ones, for his children, his people. And he is incredibly powerfully putting up a boundary against willful spiritual damage done against others within the church. And that perhaps will come as good news for those of you who perhaps along the way in your life have been hurt by spiritual leaders. And especially in cases where spiritual leaders have done devastating acts of harm against God's little ones. Be assured, Jesus says, a quick drowning would be a more merciful alternative to the judgment that that kind of action will incur. That's failure. 
Well, Jesus keeps moving. It's like this rapid-fire succession of Christian life issues from failure to forgiveness. Now, it's important for us to understand that relationships in the church are paramount. They're not incidental. And they've got to be protected from the buildup of bitterness and resentment that can occur. Verse 3, Jesus says, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Think about it. Forgiveness is at the heart of the Christian faith. From the cross, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. None of us were standing there incidentally asking for the forgiveness. And yet it is freely given from the heart of God through the cross of God to those who will be the people of God. Forgiveness of my sins and forgiveness of your sins is central. And we who have received forgiveness and restoration to God's family through Christ's sacrifice must also forgive those in the family of God who sin against us. Not if, really it's when they sin against us. And to do otherwise is to be out of sync, to be out of harmony, out of tune with our Heavenly Father. There's a story told that some years ago in London, in the Westminster area, all of the delivery boys, or many of them, were whistling out of tune. And what was discovered was not so much that they were just all poor whistlers, but that the bells of Westminster Abbey were off pitch, and as such, they were out of tune, and the boys were simply mimicking what they had heard. They were unconsciously copying the sound that they were hearing. When we don't forgive, we become out of tune with the movement of God in our lives. So Jesus gives an admonition. He gives us a warning here. And he says, pay attention. Be alert. Don't be fooled. Take care of your relationships in the church. And that's what it means when he says, if your brother sins against you. He's talking about your brother or your sister in Christ, people in the church. We've got to diligently recognize that our relationships require maintenance. We've got to protect them. We've got to guard them. We have to work at them. And if we don't, small offenses, which invariably occur, well, they can easily become smoldering resentments that can lead to bitterness. And that that bitterness can then result in division, maybe in your life group, maybe in your circle of friends, maybe even in the church itself. And it can even lead to your own downfall spiritually along the way. Now hear this. You want to know why some of you are having a hard time hearing the Spirit of God? Well, it could very well be because you've allowed bitterness into your heart and you're unwilling to live a life of forgiveness. That is the quickest way to shutting down your open response to God. Be careful, Jesus says. Be careful. Notice Jesus goes on to say, if your brother sins, rebuke him. I'd like to have the whole church shout out right now, rebuke. Just because we don't get to say that word enough, I think. <laughs> it doesn't mean blast him. It doesn't mean tear him a new one. It doesn't mean, you know, write an angry, offensive Facebook post. Right? Get even with him and smash him. It means go talk to him. Go talk to her directly and tell them how they have hurt or offended you. What many people do, 
unfortunately. And particularly, I think here in the South is when someone offends us, we don't go to them, we go tell everybody else. And we draw in a posse around us to, well, to be on our side and to see how terrible they are. We tell everyone else, or we give them the cold shoulder. We might give them the stink eye, expecting that they can read our minds. And some of you are doing this in your marriages, and it is causing a world of damage and hurt. And here's what Jesus says. Stop it. Go directly to your brother or your sister and talk to them. Tell them how they hurt you. Tell them how they offended you through their words or their actions. Friends, this is supernatural stuff right here. Because forgiveness does not come naturally to the human heart. It is a work of the Holy Spirit, and we have to learn how to live this kind of lifestyle. You remember when our kids were young and we were teaching them uh, about how to have a relationship, but how to live as Christians and how to forgive, we had to teach this, mind you. We had to help them understand how to forgive and how to communicate and how to deal in healthy relationships. This is what we did. We had a script written out that we put on the refrigerator somewhere everybody went every single day multiple times and the script said this when you did or said x i felt y and then there was a list of emotions mad sad glad afraid blah 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 lots of them mostly for the sake of my son and me who had a harder time with knowing what a feeling was the point of the script was to help our kids get away from the human's the human heart's natural tendency and demand for justice. I want justice for me, not necessarily for you. And to help them learn to move into mercy. So the script said, when you said that hurtful thing you said, I felt mad. And for the sake of love, underneath that script was the answer. Not what we often want to do, which is to feel defensive or to fight back. The answer was, thank you for telling me I'm sorry that I hurt you. Please forgive me. And, and that's a recipe for a rebuke, for a correction, for dealing in honesty with hurt and harm in a way that works through toward forgiveness. Now, it's got to be sincere, of course, for it to be effective. And I can't say that they were always sincere. That is the challenge. That is where we all need the power of God to enable us to do what God asks of us. And that's why Jesus locates forgiveness in relationships specifically and primarily in the context of believers, those of us who have a mutual grounding in the cross of God, whose heart is with the Lord and Savior Jesus, and who have a foundation in the cross and the power of the Spirit. So let me just point out one more thing here about forgiveness. When Jesus says, if your brother sins against you seven times a day and then comes back to you seven times repenting, he's not telling us to be uh, codependent doormats. I, I think of the wife whose husband comes home drunk every night and ends up hitting her. And before the night's over, he's in tears telling her how much he's sorry and he'll never do it again. And she thinks in her Christian duty, well, I've got to forgive and take him back. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's not talking about being abused. He's not talking about staying in a situation where someone is destroying you. What Jesus is talking about in normal relationships, the kind of hurt and harm that occurs, 
we have to forgive as many times as it takes, using the number seven to emphasize completeness. Seven times a day. It's thoroughness. It's forgiving fully. It's totality. It's hyperbole, you see. It's an exaggeration for the sake of effect to emphasize his expectation that if we are his people, we must be willing to forgive when it comes to our relationships in the church. Unforgiveness simply is not an option for us. And the apostles' response at that point is, Oy vey, we're going to need more faith. Verse 5, the apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now they're clearly confused about what the life of discipleship calls for. They wrongly assume, as many of us still do today, that they needed more faith than they had previously had. They were seeing faith as a kind of fuel to be filled up upon, right? That somehow they were lacking, and in order to accomplish what God wanted, they just needed to fill the tank. They just needed to get a little bit more. If I had more faith, I could make the supernatural or the impossible happen. And Jesus responds, it, it doesn't work that way. It's not about quantity. And that's why he gives us this example of the tiny little mustard seed and the mulberry tree, right? A tiny seed, the smallest of seeds, barely visible to the human eye. With the tiniest faith, he's saying, you could cause a mulberry tree, right, to be uprooted, to be thrown into the sea. Uh, it's, it's a sycamore tree. That's what a mulberry is or what it's related to. Resilient, right? They're they're hard to get up out of the ground. They're long-living. They're tenacious. He's comparing something tiny and insignificant to something enormous and strong. Again, it's hyperbole to say with just a trace of faith, you can accomplish the near impossible. Because what Jesus says is that it's not about the amount of our faith. It's about the one in whom we place our faith. I love what the missionary Hudson Taylor once said. He said, it is not great faith we need, rather it is faith in a great God that we need. And the apostles had already demonstrated this faith. They had believed that Jesus is the Messiah. They were following him as their Lord. They had already, well, they already had all the faith they needed. They just needed to exercise that faith in order to see the impossible. They needed to act upon the faith that already existed within them. They needed to use it. There's a great story that Pastor John Basango tells about one day when his daughter was five. She came to him. He was, he was busy preparing for a sermon and in a book. And, and she came to him and sort of stood by him and said, Daddy, would you build me a dollhouse? in the backyard and he sort of absent-mindedly said yes I'd be happy to and went about back to his book but it wasn't too long after that that he noticed outside of the window off to the side uh, his daughter and he saw her with like great armloads of plastic dishes and toys and dolls and she was making trip after trip and there was a large pile growing in the yard and he finally turned to his wife and he said do you know what she's doing his wife said, oh yeah, you told her that you were going to build her a dollhouse and she believed you and now she's acting upon that belief. 
And like that, it was like an atom bomb went off in him and he got up and went and got the supplies and hastily built that dollhouse in the backyard for his daughter. Not because she had earned it or she deserved it, but because she had believed her father's word and then acted upon it. And that is what faith is, friends. Believing our father's word as expressed to us in the words of the scripture and through the word made flesh, Jesus Christ, and acting upon it. Learning to, to live in those unforced rhythms of grace. Following his promptings and his leadings, those quiet and gentle touches that God gives us, responding to that in faith and stepping out in action to do that which he calls us to do. And so in this really short passage, we have some really meaty things about what failure looks like in the Christian life, particularly in leadership, about what forgiveness is and how important and central it is to our lives and to our relationships and what it looks like to live by faith. Not that our faith has to be great, but our faith has to be in our great God. Let's pray. Oh Lord, thank you that you give what you call for. And so when you call for faith, it's simply us learning to respond to what you've already said. So Lord, on this day, this moment, we turn our hearts to you, trusting your goodness and your grace toward us. Thank you, O oh God. Teach us to forgive and show us in this service today, even now, anyone that you know we need to forgive in order for our hearts to be right before you and for our channel of relationship to be clear and free, that we might follow you more fully. Lord, protect us always from being a stumbling block to others. We ask this in Jesus' name.